Thanks for tuning in to the Sword and Trial today. We have the opportunity of talking to my good friend Dusty Devers today from Oklahoma. Dusty is a pastor there, but we're going to talk to him about his throwing his hat into the ring to run for political office there in the state of Oklahoma. So this is a a wonderful conversation about an important matter, not just his campaign, but Christians involved in the political sphere. So encourage you to listen in and send this around to your friends so that they all also can glean some wisdom from Dusty Devers. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us on this episode when today we welcome into our studio Dusty Devers. Dusty is a pastor from Southwest Oklahoma. And Dusty, welcome. Glad to have you here today. Hey, it's exciting to be here with you guys. I've listened to the Sword and Trial for years and just so much appreciate the ministry of founders. And man, this is a, this is a, a dream for me. Well, well, thanks for being on the show with us today. And uh, Dusty's an old friend. I mean, this is not like uh, some new introduction for us because I don't know how long I've known you, but it's been a long, long time. And uh, you minister in the same state with my brother, Bill. And so through some of those connections, uh, we've had opportunities to do some things together together and have just admired and appreciate your work as a pastor in Elgin, Oklahoma, where uh, you've been for quite a while and you actually grew up in that town, uh, did you not? And also in, in the church, aren't you pastoring the church you grew up in? Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's right. I We moved here in 1982 and my dad started a pharmacy here in Elgin. And the first Sunday we were in town, we started going to First Baptist Church and I was saved there April 10th, 1988. And through the years, I, I graduated and left, and I came back in, in 2013, and we planted a church, and this church, First Baptist, was about to close its doors, and we worked with the elders who were there at the time to restart it. We call it a revita plant, a revitalization mm-hmm. by means of a church plant, mm-hmm. and that was a little over seven years ago, and now I'm preaching on the in the same church where I grew up in was saved and man, what a grace of God. Amen. Amen. Well, Dusty, uh, we love the fact that you're a pastor, that you're involved in wonderful concerns like, uh, ending abortion, uh, genuinely and, and uh, completely in the nation. But that's not primarily why we're talking to you today. Uh, primarily we're talking to you today because you've thrown your hat into the ring to run for the Senate in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, man, that's an interesting thing for a Baptist pastor. So we're interested in knowing a little bit about the genesis of that, uh, what led you to do that, what was involved in your doing it. And then we just want to talk to you about some of the things that you would want to accomplish if God were to put you in that position. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as far as the involvement, you know, COVID really hit a lot of us. Mm. It taught a lot of us how behind we were in understanding God's word and how it applies to government, the the civil sphere. Uh, So through that process, the Lord was teaching us as a church much and us as pastors much. We had 
you know, all kinds of different perspectives on what, how we should handle it, what we should, mm. how we should treat it. But when we went to the word of God, we recognized both that God's word tells us, especially how the civil sphere is to operate. God appoints them as servants and deacons of his to protect the innocent and to punish the evildoers and to reward those who are doing, who are doing right. And during that time, we look back at, at our, our, old confessions, you know, the, the 1689, the Westminster Confession, and our forefathers uh, in the Reformation faith uh, had already dealt with these things, and they had dealt with them so well, and we realized we had we had lost so much. So during that time, the Lord was preparing us. We, we taught through the roles of God and government, and then we started preaching through Deuteronomy. Well, when this seat came up, the, the incumbent resigned his seat to take a a position with the, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, there were three candidates who who came into the race, and we had about th- about three weeks before the closing of the um, of the open window. We told the church we need to pray about this because if any if God has prepared anyone post COVID to think about these matters from a biblical standpoint and from a constitutional standpoint, it's been the people in our church. We have really prepared them. We had a mandate conference, uh, so you know we should be prepared. We prayed for three weeks. We had a final prayer meeting. Myself, another one of our elders, put put ourselves forward, and we told the church, we will run, will anybody else? And we were the two that were left, and we took another hour of prayer, and the church then weighed out our different giftings and uh, where we thought the Lord had placed us in his providential circumstances in our life stage and work environment, and realizing that this is a part-time position in Oklahoma. The mm. senator uh, is a part-time from Monday at noon till Thursday at noon from February to May. We realized that the pastors could fulfill that role as well, and I'm a bivocational pastor. So the church then, after that hour of prayer, commissioned me to take up the duty and responsibility to love God and to love my neighbors, them included, by running for the seat of senator, and then if I get it, to then perform the role as a a duty and act of love towards them fascinating so uh when people hear that a baptist pastor is running for a political office uh, one of the first questions that they ask was man what does his church think about that Mm -hmm. and so you've got a ready answer to that well they prayed and uh after praying said go do this they told me to (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's wonderful so it's district 32 is that right in oklahoma is where you're running so uh you mentioned old confessions of faith and here at our church and what we uh, use with Founders Ministries is the second London Baptist Confession that was published in the 18th century. It's it's better known as the 1689. That's the year that it kind of became widely uh, disseminated. And it has a whole chapter on the civil magistrate, chapter 24. And the second paragraph after the first paragraph tells the duties of the magistrate, why God ordained magistrates, just as you said, says this, paragraph two, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto in the management whereof, as they ought especially to maintain justice and peace, which, of course, who better to know about justice and peace and love justice and peace than people who have been reconciled to the God of justice Mm. and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom and commonwealth, 
wholesome laws, so recognizing that there are civil laws, so that they, the end, so for that end, they may lawfully now, under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasions. So, I mean, there it is. So, confessionally, our forefathers recognized, yes, Christians can do this, and it doesn't say that Christian ministers are not allowed to do this. So I'm sure there had to be a lot of conversation between you and your wife about this and your family. you got kids, and so this is going to demand a lot more of your time and energy. How'd that go? Yeah, it, you know, <clears throat> I was telling somebody earlier, uh, it's probably a good thing that I didn't know what the demands would be in campaigning, or otherwise I might have said, ah, I might have thought about it a little longer. But the wife and I spoke, and, uh, you know, we've been married for 20 years. I do have six kids, and it has it has been an opportunity for our family to sacrifice for the good of our not only our our church and our neighbors but we look at it as another as an extension of our love for our children and our grandchildren to come mm. we really uh recognize if if good men don't step up right now. And I say by good, I mean, uh, men who are, who are bound to God's word and who would uphold our constitution. If we don't stand up right now, then the future that we get is the future that we're going to deserve. Mm. Yeah. So I think we need, we need more faithful men. I, I, you know, that's one thing that I've noticed uh, fairly recently, probably along the same timeline as you and the COVID lockdowns and all the things that have happened over the past several years is that, you know, in our own tradition, the Reformed Baptist tradition, as Tom just read from the confession, Christians may serve as civil magistrates. You know, we're not Anabaptists who think that Christians shouldn't have anything to do with the government. Um, but it seems that there have been very few, you know, faithful brothers and sisters who have seen it as a responsibility and a duty. Certainly we have a responsibility and a duty to vote because as citizens of this nation, that is one of our privileges. Um, but I, I've seen relatively few kind of take upon themselves the mantle. You know, there are offices all around the country that uh, there are open seats uh, that we could be running for. Uh, few Christians have said, yeah, you know what? I think that the Lord is calling me to serve my community, serve my nation and serve my church in this capacity. Uh, and so it's encouraging to see you as a pastor to do that and see, see you as a, as a faithful brother do that. You know, it is interesting, though, um, just thinking about the, the precedent in Baptist uh, history, not just of, of Christians running for office, but pastors running for office. Have you seen that in, in Baptist history? Yeah, I mean, there are currently, there are numerous Baptist pastors who are holding positions in legislation, whether uh, in the legislature, whether it's at a national level or state levels, or if you look around in your at your mayors and and uh, other county level positions or, or city level positions, and the reality is, uh, historically, we have precedent for those men who have been studying the Word of God, who have been teaching the Word of God and understanding it, to then also take what is just in their home, because the home is the foundation, is the bedrock for where we see proper government, take that foundation of just law in the home, and it's also operating just law in the church a little bit differently in the sense of how he used the tools that are there, but then applying just law and practicing righteousness in a society uh, in the civil sphere. So they should be capable anyway, you know, uh, if, if you're able to lead according to God's word, well, 
God's world operates according to God's word in its most thriving uh, position. But as soon as we shirk the law of God and the word of God and the wisdom of God, we will move into a chaotic world and we will see the acidic effects of doctrines of men and the commandments of men as they uh, pervade our society. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. You know, we can't even find out our justice department can't even determine who left the cocaine in the white house. I mean, why, why should we trust them for other major issues? Great point. And, uh, you know, there have been historically and contemporarily, as you said, uh, Baptist pastors who have served in various political roles. Uh, a friend of mine, Doug Ritchie, who's an, also an old friend is, uh, currently a legislator in Missouri as well. He's, held that position, I think, five or six years or so. And it's it's right and it's good. Who better to think about justice, to think about righteousness, to think about how to apply uh, the laws of the land that are wholesome laws than those who study God's word from which all righteousness and justice comes from. And so we mm-hmm. can appreciate the fact that you're doing this. What What is it that you would hope to accomplish? So if God in his kindness... Uh, causes you to be put in this position. The primaries next October, right? And then the general elections in November. So if it's you this October, okay, yeah. yeah. So if you win the primary race, and you, are there three other candidates? Did you say that you're running against right now? Yeah, three okay. other Republican candidates. Okay, so if God puts you in that position where uh, you win that election, then you win the general election as well. Uh, what difference would Dusty Devers make to the Senate in Oklahoma? Yeah, I think at the highest level, the the biggest difference is going to be applying the word of God to every issue that comes up. Mm. We have a constitution that is by God's grace, it's upholding the word of God predominantly. So we don't have to have them in competition with each other. So as a as a candidate, the biggest thing that I can bring to the table is we are going to have uh, legislation and we're going to have argumentation from the floor that's based on God's word. And we're bringing a consciousness uh, to or a conscience, a moral conscience. I will speak directly as as uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, make open statements of the truth to the conscience. That will have such a powerful effect on the votes that are being cast, on uh, the, the kinds of bills that are being passed. So th- that is a major issue. And I can't even, we can't even quantify what effect that's going to have right now, because we don't know how God will use that. But as, as we kind of go down from there, we want to see morality brought back into government. I want to see uh, pornography abolished. I want to see no fault divorce come back to at fault in divorce uh, and even public shaming for those who are at fault in divorce. I want to see abortion abolished. Uh, These are the kinds of morality and government issues that we need to get back to. I was reading Proverbs 29 this morning and Proverbs 29 too, I've just got it here, says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. That's what we need. We need more morality according to God's word back into government so that the people will increase. And we have been groaning for so long because we've been passing laws that are according to the commandments of men and we are being crushed under them. Uh, the, The second area would be 
I want to see, uh, we, we, we need to keep the government out of our pocketbooks. We've got to have better, better fiscal policies. Uh, we need comprehensive tax reduction. We need to reduce the corporate income tax and create an imb- a, a business environment that can where small businesses are thriving. We've got to get some of those federal regulations off the backs of individuals and, and their businesses. I ran a pharmacy for five years. I'm telling you, it is crushing the regulatory environment. And that's the, the case in so many different sectors. Uh, the third area is that I would like to see abortion abolished. Uh, in my opinion, a nation that would not protect its most vulnerable is a nation that is vulnerable. If we will not uh, give equal protection under the law and close the loopholes that allow abortion pills to flood into our states, then we will get the continued judgment that we deserve and we will groan, not just under bad policy and bad wicked rulers, but under the judgment of God. We wanted to make you aware of a new title that's coming out here shortly at Founders Press. This is Serious Joy, Reflections and Devotions on Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions, a book by Pastor Joey Tomlinson. In this book, uh, Joey introduces the readers to Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions and goes over each of them in detail and gives supporting scripture references for each of them. So it's a wonderful opportunity for Christians to be able to be introduced to Jonathan Edwards and also a wonderful introduction to his 70 Resolutions. If you'd like to pre order this new title, you can do so at founders.org. So what about uh, separation of church and state? You know, yeah. I mean, people all the time will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't impose your Christianity on us. You just talked about uh, bringing the word of God to bear on arguments at the floor when these bills would be debated and policy would be discussed. Uh, what about separation of church and state here, man? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. You in the the founding fathers, whenever you know they would talk about, or whenever the, the uh, issue of separation of church and state was brought up, it was not separation of God and government and separation of God from the church. Even it was the separation of the two spheres. We see that there is a sphere that is the church, and the church wields the keys of the kingdom for church discipline through principally baptism and the Lord's Supper and the right preaching of the uh, of the word. And then we see the state has the tools of the, the sword. It has the, the state is a, a, um, a system of force mm-hmm. to bring right judgment and right practice under law. So when you think of, of, of a, of a government practicing righteousness, then we have to ask by what standard and the standard is the God who created everything and who uh, will not be thwarted in all of his plans. And if we recognize that Christ has been seated after, after his resurrection was seated at the right hand of the father, high above every rule and every authority and every name that is named. And he is now as revelation one says, the governor, the ruler of all the Kings of the earth, then yes, we can rep- recognize that a, there is a difference between the civil government and the church, but under that Christ is ruling and he is King over all. So, 
our, we, it's a presuppositional approach to uh, government and and the church. And the presupposition is Christ is Lord. You know, uh, there are people who get nervous when Christians start talking about politics because they think that we're out of our lane. And yet Christ owns all the lanes. And so if we're going to submit to the Lordship of Christ, then we're going to have to be willing to uh, say what he says or think rightly according to his word about any area of reality. When we get into politics, however, that doesn't mean that we want the state to be the church. Mm-hmm. And so you are, uh, you're leading your church as an elder. So in that sense, you have authority and responsibility for the direction, how that church is to be shaped and what it's to do, where it's to go. Uh, you wouldn't, if you're elected, you wouldn't want to see the state of Oklahoma be uh, led and governed the same way your church is, would you? No, we don't want an ecclesiocracy where the church and the state are one, mm-hmm. nor do we want even a mosaicocracy where we reconstruct everything as a, as the uh, old covenant Israelites were. Mm-hmm. No, we want to take the law of God as understood, summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments and applied to just government, to practice righteousness in that sense. That's what justice is. It's equal protection under the law through the practice of righteousness and then giving proportional punishments. So yeah, there's a separation of powers. Mm-hmm. There's a separation of church and state as well. And uh, but, but God is the only authority from which elders derive their authority and from which uh, civil legislators derive their authority. And then that's what Romans 13 says. Uh, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. So it is a, a office instituted by God, and the authority is from him as well. Yeah, I think that um, so many just assume that justice is uh, societally derived. And so mm-hmm. whatever our society determines is right and good and true, well, that determines then what our justice is. And uh, that assumption, that presupposition has led us to a place where we, the people, are groaning under unjust uh, rulers and, and legislators. Um, but when we recognize that justice is transcendent, that mm-hmm. justice does not come from below but comes from above, that justice is revealed from heaven by the just one, well, then we can start to legislate properly. Then we can start to live lives in accordance with the way that God has revealed and in accordance with the nature that he has placed in us and that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And one of the things we've emphasized uh, from the beginning, really, of Founders Ministries 40 years ago, but about, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, we decided to especially highlight is the uh, importance of law and gospel for proper living in the church, but also in the world. And Dusty, what you were just talking about, the, the law of God summarizing 10 commandments. I know a lot of people hear that and they'll say, oh my goodness, you know, this guy is wanting to impose all those old codes on us. And they, they don't realize even Christians in the church today, that we, we get that kind of uh, fear, that, that reaction that's, oh, that's legalism, that's legalism. They don't realize the law of God is good. It's good. It's liberating. If, if we're mm-hmm. not being governed, who was it that said this? Was it Chesterton? If you're not governed by 10 laws, you'll be governed by 10,000. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're going to be governed by something. And what I have found to be um, revealing of 
the lack of understanding and appreciation of God's law and God's gospel over the last several years, especially, let's say the last five with COVID and all the upheaval that we've gone through societally, is Christian leaders who cry for justice, who in the name of justice say, oh, we must say Black Lives Matter, or we must do this, we must get the inoculation, or we must uh, uh, do something uh, for the oppressed in this way, and yet they grow mute whenever you start looking at what's going on in society with the LGBTQ agenda, with the abortion industry, and suddenly they, they no longer want to speak in terms of absolute justice. And it's because their definitions of justice don't go any further than what society says this ought to be done in order for justice. I deserve justice mm-hmm. as whatever uh, I might be doing that is uh, a perversion of what God's law actually says. And so more one of the significantly important things that pastors, churches need to be doing today is preaching God's law along with God's gospel. And the whole gospel-centered movement, you know, it's like law was a something that we need to be allergic to. Well, we've seen what's happened to that movement, and part of the reason that that movement was gutted out so quickly is because it didn't have the law of God uh, woven into it. Not that the law saves, not that the law has anything to do with making us right to God, but the law of God exposes our sin, the law of God restrains sin, and the law of God governs how those who are rightly related to God are to live. And if we don't understand and recover that threefold use of the law that's in our confession of faith, that's in historic Protestantism, then um, we're going to keep going down these horrible rapids toward disaster and chaos. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, God certainly has concerns about the civil arena because he ordained government. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's not just theoretical, you know, the one who has their eye on a transcendent understanding of justice is the one who is able to say, no, we're not going to spend our children and our grandchildren's money mm-hmm. on our own right. needs. They, they, they have an, an ability to say, no, we're not going to lock down an entire nation for this sickness. No, we're not going to force people to get vaccinations in order to keep their jobs. A person who has their eye on, on transcendent justice as revealed by God. God is able to then apply that in very practical ways for the good of the people. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Dusty. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Tom, you brought up the three use of the law. That framework needs to be re-injected into the civil sphere. People who are legislating and who, who are writing law need to understand those uses of the law. And the church needs to understand it. Yeah. It exposes the evil that's in us by showing, by working alongside the conscience. It restrains evil in society. It is a tutor in that sense as well. It teaches us how then we should live. The law drives us to Christ, and whenever we come to Christ, if we will humble ourselves and repent of our sin, then the law in the hand of Christ fulfilled teaches us then to go look back at the law as a good thing, as the as those very deeds for which we should be zealous to do. So the law is good, and I mean, if you look at uh, Psalm 19, Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It revives the soul. You think about the people of our nation. We're groaning, we're crushed, we're, we're underneath so much um, 
financial burden right now and and uh, legal stress and trauma and we have we have been just under the hand of wicked rulers for so long and to even have a framework of these are wicked rulers and these are righteous rulers they they legislate according to God's word versus the wicked ones legislate according to some other word because they have no dawn in them they have no testimony of the word then we're not going to see the soul of individuals or the nation revived if the law isn't being taught and we're not governing according to it. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. We want a population that is wise enough to manage the freedoms that God has given us. He has given us unalienable rights, but we have to have the maturity to manage those, or we're just going to give away our rights like we did in COVID. We were so immature in so many ways. We just thought, well, the powerful need to to govern us when all the while we should have said, no, it's not your jurisdiction to overreach to healthy people's bodies and to tell us what we should do or to churches or to businesses. You do not have the right, the jurisdiction from God or from our constitution to, to lock us down. Uh, so, uh, you know, I could go on, but that the fact of bringing the word of God to bear on the civil sphere, the, the uses of the law and the reality that there is wickedness and there is righteousness is going to be very important. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Allie Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. So Dusty, uh, you are a pastor. You have been a businessman. Uh, you're a man of conviction. You've been out in the public square. You're no uh, uh, newcomer to engaging in political debate because you have contended for the uh, equal protection under the law for unborn children at your state's, uh, the steps of your state's capital. Uh, All of these things are uh, part of your DNA, just the way God's made you and his providence, how he's positioned you. And if you're put in this position as senator in the state of Oklahoma, then what you've done thus far will continue to inform uh, how you'll carry out your duties for the citizens in your district. R- remind us again, your district is uh, District 32, and what does that yeah. encompass? What what uh, county are you in and n- big city you're near? So people can know uh, if you are a candidate that they could vote for. It's most of Comanche County in southwest Oklahoma. That includes Fletcher, Elgin, Lawton, Medicine Park, Cash, and Indiahoma. Uh, throughout the, the southwest of Oklahoma. Okay. And I'm sure, man, running a campaign, I mean, you, you've, you uh, again, <laughs> you got a couple of jobs otherwise. you got to feed your family. you got to take care of uh, a church and, and serve the way that God's called you to serve in that primary responsibility. 
How are you financing this? Well, we've gotten a, a few donations from from individuals so mm-hmm. far, and I've had to put in some of my own money. But this really is a grassroots effort. We are a very convictional people. We have a whole lot of volunteers who are knocking doors, who are putting out signs, who are talking to friends and family, because they want to see morality back in government mm-hmm. according to God's word. And it's been incredibly encouraging uh, that we've had so many at the grassroots level help us, uh, and and. It, you're, you're right. It is very expensive to run a campaign. Uh, my my competitors have said that each one of them are going to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, even injecting their own uh, funds to that degree in there. And we need even $10, $20 donations, as many of them as we can. We've got mailers to send out. We've got a message to get out. And that message, which I've been so encouraged and enlivened to do, uh, knocking on those doors is to tell them, look, God created us all. He has a way that his world is going to thrive and it's according to his word. And by God's grace, our constitution upholds that. And then I can tell them about the goodness of God in the scriptures. Mm. And, and most of the time I'm inviting these people to church too. Yeah. So I get to go out and do some door to door evangelism to a degree too. Well, that's wonderful. So if people wanted to contribute to your campaign, and we would encourage you to do that because uh, you might think, well, I don't live in Oklahoma, but if God were to be pleased to put Dusty in this position, well, that would have an impact far beyond Oklahoma. Because one of the things, just having a campaign and his willingness to get out there and to, to make yourself vulnerable and to say, okay, you know, if God puts me in this position, I'll do it. And I'll certainly do my best to try to get in the position in accordance with his will and provisions is it can embolden others, uh, other Mm. godly people to recognize, yeah, this might be something God would have me do. What can I do here in my community and other pastors as well? And I'm sure you'd be willing to talk to pastors who might say, well, you know, uh, how did you do this? Or what do you think about this? And so we'll, we'll make it available for folks to contact you, but you've got a website. It's Devers2023.com. D-E-E-V-E-R-S. 2023.com. And can people contribute uh, to your work, your campaign uh, through that website? Yes, there's a donate button at the very top of the webpage. You can also watch my campaign video uh, there, and it'll give you a little bit more information about my campaign. But also, there's an issues section that we're growing and an endorsements uh, section. I just got the endorsement from the Oklahoma Second Amendment Association, from the Oklahomans for Health and Parental Rights, and the Oklahoma Conservative Political Action Committee, the action side. And more of those endorsements are coming as well. They are all recognizing that I am by far in a way, the most conservative candidate in this race. And they're even saying that the future of conservative politics in Oklahoma is coming down to a very tight race right here in my district. So it's very important for a lot of the conservative folks to really get behind us. And that would be including across the nation, because what we're trying to do is eradicate rhinos from, from our state. 
it really, I, I've said uh, somewhere else that if we don't go rhino hunting today, we're going to get the donkeys we deserve tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. What a tagline. Dusty, you got my endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, adore, we endorse Dusty. Hey, brother, thank you so much for being on this uh, podcast with us. And uh, we will pray for you. We have prayed for you in our home. We'll encourage others to pray for you as well and to support you, to contribute to your campaign. May God uh, provide a great blessing for the citizens of Southwest Oklahoma by seeing you elected to their Senate. Thank you, brother. It's been such a pleasure to be on with you guys. I respect you guys so much. Uh, I think the way that the Lord has used uh, you, Tom, and founders, and and you too, Graham, uh, in His purposes across the United States, and to declare the gospel and hold firm to sound doctrine, has been uh, it's been enlivening to me. It's been strengthening, and I see you guys as kind of the Joshua and Caleb who are going into the land and telling people what God had already told them. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord. Our God will be with us wherever we go. So I'm thankful for you guys. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you for joining us today on this episode of the sword and trial. If it's been helpful to you, we encourage you to pass it around. If you've not already subscribed to the sword and trial, you would do us a favor by that as well. And as always, we want to thank our founders Alliance members because of their support and their encouragement. We're able to produce this kind of content and make it available to you cost free. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.